you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Around the NFL podcast has no fear of Miko Grimes. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast presented by New Era. My name is Dan Hansis and I am joined by a room filled with heroes, Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. What is happening? Oh. Not too much. Uh, so rare for the four of us to be together. Well, maybe, maybe we're not settling so in. It's yeah. time. We're settling in, brah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, by the way, our uh, Tuesday video show, which you can uh, check out. Um, the audio drops before the video, correct? That's right. So, you know, if you're listening to this now and you want to watch the video, NFL.com. Slash slash ATN video. Uh, thank you, Mr. Wilk, behind the glass. Uh, at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time, 9.30 Eastern. If you're in the U.K., eh, figure it out. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be sitting there in perpetuity. Forever. You know, so if you don't catch it live. The whole archive's there. We've right. been, this is our third episode, Tuesday episode. Uh, you can watch all of them, including the one today, uh, later today. The great, great for binging on the weekend. Just crank through our. <laughs> what else would you rather do? It is. Uh, this is also something of an anniversary. We are this week marks the fourth year mm. uh, anniversary of the um, Around the NFL podcast, which started out as the uh, Around the League podcast, which began as Mark, of course, uh, the Debate Club, which was produced for a period of time by Alex Wilk behind the glass once more. Yep. Alex, Alex, by the way, I, I, if I remember this historically, worked as hard as possible to get off the show. He, he, there, was a, there was absolutely an effort to get off this production. I, and now I, he's taking a step back in his career. I actually I did. I do remember this is a couple of years ago. I'm sure Alex remembers it. But I approached Alex privately in a meeting asking if he wanted to be the full time producer of this show. And at the time, he was a rising star on the network side of production, so he basically blew me off and yeah. said, nah, brah, I'm out. And I said, I respect it. And I think it was the right move by him. I think so. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to say for the record that I've never said bra in my life, <laughs> <laughs> despite being from Southern California. You're my Southern California bra. I don't, I don't bra. Four years is a long time, though. But I mean, also, not, yeah. I've lived in my apartment four years. That's the longest I've lived in any apartment uh, since I was a kid. Like, I'm sure you guys are the same as since I was a, a kid. I've had we've I've had this job now five years. That's the longest I've had the same job without like a different company buying it or kind of changing. I mean, that's a long time. You know what that means that it's more the product of where we are in our lives, where you start to get locked into a routine, settle for something that's secure, <laughs> stop testing yourself, stop taking chances, 
and then all of a sudden you're getting the gold watch and the four hundred dollar a month pension, and away you go. Greg also spent many years as a you know on the run for petty crimes, constantly <laughs> moving from job to job and city to city. Um, okay, so yeah, four years. Thank you for ev- thank you to everyone that's been along for the whole ride because I'm pretty sure we've gotten better from then to now. Maybe we're in decline now. I don't know. We'll see this upcoming season. This will be a big season in terms of our ability to to remain. Uh, what I believe to be uh, us being an essential NFL podcast. But to this point, I think we have become one. We'll see if we can keep it up. I think four years into your career, you're in your prime. Yeah. Okay. We haven't hit gradual decline yet. Well, like as I know well, you you cannot really judge when a gradual decline kicks in. Uh, Today's show, it's going to be a fun one because we got – here's what's coming up today. We're going to talk about the latest uh, involving Andrew Luck uh, and his injury situation. Is he going to be ready for the season? Is he going to be ready for training camp? Uh, We will also hit upon all or nothing. I sent it out to the listeners – uh, in our last show, do you want to talk about All or Nothing? And it came back in a wave at me. I shouldn't have seen this coming. Talk about All or Nothing. So we will hit our, our final takeaways on that. And I did do my homework and binge watched it over the last two days. Uh, and uh, finally, our Training Camp Spotlight Series rolls on. We're going to take a look at the Dallas Cowboys camp battles, uh, which which uh, Greg knows intimately, um, which we'll get to uh, the reason why <laughs> a little bit later. Uh, but... Before we do any of that, let's now say hello to the other producer behind the glass. It's a big operation back there. His name is Sully. What's up, bud? What's up, guys? I actually uh, went back and listened to the intro of the first episode, and uh, it was quite different. Much more subdued, Dan. <laughs> uh, no hey, Dan, so that was sad. And and, and no ho, either. So. Well, ho is not really a thing. I know it's not a thing, <laughs> but you're making it a thing now. Yeah. So. Oh, you're doing ho? I mean, I mean, I, not intentionally. As of when? When is that a thing? I think it, I've done it's it. Becoming a thing. I think I've done it two or three times, maybe ever. Uh, I don't know. It's it, it, you're stringing some podcasts together where you have a. Hug. Well, you've just guaranteed it will never happen again. <laughs> All right, good. I didn't like it anyway. So there was no hey Dan on that episode because I drew the short straw and had to stay down in the newsroom yeah. to cover the news. Day. Yeah, that's how those early shows operated. Which was a really nice system, I thought, by management that was put into place early on to help grow the show. But somehow we've survived. <laughs> And um, let's start, uh, Sully, by doing some news, my buddy boy. There's only four words. This one's for John. All right. So, gentlemen, we're going to get to Mr. Elway in a couple of minutes, but let's start with a a bit of a circus uh, taking place uh, down in Dallas involving a fifth-string wide receiver. Mark, you've been all over this uh, beat for NFL.com today. I know that. Uh, okay, continue. Lucky Whitehead, and let's start here. Lucky Whitehead. Who is Lucky Whitehead? He is a wide receiver on the Dallas Cowboys. He is. He's, He's, well, he was. He was. He was. That's the tense is, was incorrect yeah. already on my part. He uh, was released or is to be released. I don't know if this formally the paperwork's gone through yet. Uh, after he was, uh, it came to light that he was involved in some type of a robbery situation at a convenience store. Do I have this right? Yeah. Should I have read this Correct. beforehand? Yes. Correct. Uh, and <laughs> I then should have though. It's and then deep. the yeah, I should have. And then the Cowboys said, "Oh, well, this is it. We're done with this guy. We're cutting him." And then today comes around, and it's it's revealed by the police, but they had the wrong guy. The guy said he was Lucky White Whitehead. He gave his date of birth, which matched. He gave his social security number, even though he had no uh, ID or identification on him. Uh, uh, but so they cleared Lucky Whitehead of charge. This is the same Lucky Whitehead, Wes that had a dog that was kidnapped and held by ram- uh, held for ransom by a rapper last week. Same guy. Seems like a high-maintenance guy. <laughs> anyway, so the, the, the police clear Lucky, but the Cowboys decide they're going to stay put with their decision, which led to a uncomfortable press conference today uh, with Jason Garrett, the coach of the Cowboys, who went the Bill Belichick were on to Cincinnati route uh, when asked repeatedly how the Cowboys handled this perhaps improperly. Let's listen in to the coach. Guys, we made a decision yesterday that we thought was in the best interest of our team. And in evaluating the particular situation and the context of that situation, uh, we felt like we made a decision uh, in regards to Lucky that was right for our team. And we stand by that decision. On a personal level, as someone who's known him for a while, are you happy that it's turned out this way, that in fact he was not involved in this crime? Uh, I think the best thing for Lucky is to have a clean slate. And he'll have a new opportunity somewhere else. That's good for him. And again, it's in the best interest of our football team. Did he tell you that he didn't do it? 
we had a number of conversations with Lucky regarding this, and again, uh, we made a decision that we think is in the best interest of the Dallas Cowboys. Why are some of the other players, Jason, dealing with off-the-field issues then still on the Cowboys? Guys, this will be the last time I'll say it. I appreciate your interest in it. Uh, we made a decision yesterday in regards to Lucky Whitehead that we think is in the best interest of the Dallas Cowboys. We're standing by that decision. We're going to move forward. If you have any other football questions, I'm happy to answer them. Let me just clarify that he, it was, he was accused of shoplifting, not robbery, which brings to mind like uh, a guy with a sawed-off shotgun raging into the place, shoplifting some goods. Mark, uh, the Cowboys are getting killed for this right now. Do you think they deserve to be? Well, I think the timing of it and the way that the thing has played out is, uh, is not a good look for the Cowboys. But what I heard Jason Garrett say during the end of that press conference, someone asked, is there something else going on with this player that we don't know about? And he said, there's a lot going on with all our players that you don't know. And I think that this was whatever the incident that we've heard about, but they have such a large catalog on every one of everyone they employ that they know about. And so much is going on with these players behind the scenes that we'll never hear about. That This must have just been the final thing where they said the lucky whitehead experience in Dallas is over. Well, and they drafted his replacement. He had a heart. I mean, if he was a better player, he'd be on the team. That's just how the NFL works. They don't say that, but they drafted his replacement, Ryan Switzer. He was believed to have an uphill battle just to make the team in the first place. His nine career catches and averages 6.9 <laughs> yards per punt return. Everybody's losing their minds over this guy because this yeah. is the Cowboys. Well, it's a great story. It's a crazy story. It's a crazy story, and it's not a good look. But the bottom line is people who have no idea what's going on behind closed doors in Dallas are being way too cynical in this matter. Yeah, I agree. There also you know, is the fact that Ian Rapport reported that some of his friends had his wallet or something at the time so they had access to his social security uh, whether there was you know i think some rumors under the radar of what was really going on with the dog ransom last week there were some incidents last year that that they referred to but it still looks bad because it's the first day of training camp literally at the time they're telling lucky whitehead that this is happening jerry jones is standing at a podium with a 35-foot-tall inflatable football behind him and a 45-foot-tall star, and he and there's, like, fireworks. It's like an introductory <laughs> ceremony in Southern California, and he's saying, I've never been more excited about a season than this one. And at that very moment, they are bungling this release, which Jason Garrett said just hours before, we need to get all the information and, you know, then make a correct decision, which they decided basically not to do. couple things. Listen, Lucky Whitehead had to say to the Dallas Morning News on Tuesday, no one had my back. I didn't even get to clear my name. I was pretty much being called a liar. So, yeah, the Cowboys, obviously, the move, I think, would have been to let this blow over, let, let the dust clear a little bit, see where we are in a few days. If he's saying, if you're either not giving him the opportunity to explain to his side of the story or you're not believing him, then the cops uh, exonerate him after. The, it's just a bad look for the Cowboys. They, they were too quick to jump on this, despite what might be going on beyond the scenes with Lucky Whitehead, who may be a pain in the ass. We don't know. But the other thing I just want to say, like, and I don't know, I feel like the whole story's not out yet, and maybe oh, yeah. it will come out, but uh, does it not pass the smell test for anyone else that whoever this person was that was, by the way, on the loose, which is kind of a fun wrinkle to this too. Uh, I guess he posted bail or something. He's just now, nobody knows who he is because he gave the wrong identity. Uh, but he knew Lucky Whitehead's social security number. Are, is there right. some type it's, of dot to connect? Well, it was here? someone oh. close. It was someone close to him. Ian Rappaport. Yeah, yeah. what's your believe. what's your wife's social security number? What's your mom's social I mean, security I have number? No, yeah. had what's it. your social security number? I'm that, saying that I know. That Set doesn't. You're right. That doesn't pass the smell test. And whatever is going on with Lucky Whitehead. I think it's reasonable that the Cowboys have decided he's more trouble than he's worth. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, we've kind of glossed over the whole dog ransom uh, thing that's going on. There, There's a lot to be wondering about. Here. I'm a little concerned because at our meetup in San Francisco before Super Bowl 50, <laughs> as a sign-off to one of our podcast listeners on a football, I wrote in permanent marker my social security number to a, a, a right. girl, and she fled away with it. Who knows what's what's next? The guy is drunk. Yeah, one of the, <laughs> one of the, one of the stranger decisions uh, – Caused by alcohol in your life. <laughs> kind of unprecedented. I don't know about that. <laughs> kind of unprecedented. Um, all right. In other Cowboys news, uh, Lyle Collins is uh, getting paid. The Cowboys offensive lineman agreed to a two-year contract extension on Tuesday worth $15.4 uh, according to Mike Garofolo, Uh Collins is 23. 
he basically now makes back his lost salary from back in 2015 uh, when he was supposed to be a first-round pick and then uh, some issues about a, a crime that had taken place that he had been connected to but never charged or ever really in a serious way connected to it once the dust cleared in that situation. Uh, and uh, now he ma- basically makes that money back after pulling himself out of the draft. Wes, uh, Collins has really been everything they hoped he would be, and now he's getting paid, so you got to be happy for him a little bit. Well, he's been injured. He missed a good chunk of last year. They expect him to be their right tackle. But this is about him not getting drafted, which meant he was due to hit the open market one year ahead of everyone else who got drafted in that mm. same class. And that was the advantage of going undrafted. That's why he told teams, don't draft me. One of the great agent moves, I believe, of the last decade. They bluffed the entire league into not drafting him. They even admitted after the fact, they said we had no recourse. They weren't going to be able to wait until the next draft. Anyone could have had him, and they th- they basically threatened the league, don't draft him or else you know, we're not going to show up. They, they would have had to show up, and it ended up working out great. You got to choose the Cowboys, and now he's making some cash. It was a very serious situation, if you remember now. His name was connected to the murder of a 29-year-old pregnant woman in Louisiana. Uh, and which he I, had no connection to yeah. again. It was just it ended up being someone he had had a relationship with. It was crazy bad timing because it happened three days before the draft. It was any other timing, they'd be fine. Seems like either every year or every other year, there's one player that's supposed to be a first round pick, and something crazy bonkers happens. But the one-two punch, this one, then the next year with the gas mask bong, uh, Laramie Tunsil. That's that's quite a one-two punch. It'll be hard to defeat. <laughs> I would say so. Bonkers. Bonkers. Anyway, moving on. Yes, John Elway. You heard the man. Bolin. There's only four words. This one's for John. John Elway is is the Broncos, let's face it. And after leading the Broncos to two uh, Super Bowl championships and a, a few more AFC Conference titles in his career, he took over as the team's general manager and immediately found a lot of success, including a Super Bowl win uh, last year. Now the two sides have a, reached agreement on a new five-year deal that keeps El- Elway in Denver through the 2021 season. The team announced on Monday, uh, is this the ultimate no-brainer for ownership to make uh, with a front office figure, Wes? Absolutely. Who's been better than him? How can you do better than, what, four straight division titles, two Super Bowl appearances, uh, signed the greatest free agent in NFL history in Peyton Manning with a pure stroke of brilliance. At the same time he signs Peyton Manning, he gets rid of Team Tebow, who's coming off a playoff victory, and everybody in Denver loves him. And everything he's done since then, I mean, you can blame him for not fixing the offensive line last year, but he at least tried to. Uh, I think he's been one of the two or three best general managers in the NFL. You get waxed at the Super Bowl, and you make an aggressive move to change your the toughness of your team and defense immediately, and you get immediate results. I, I, don't, I think the worst hot takes I've ever had in my life writing about football were – like a couple of months back in 2009, I think when they were about to hire him, when I was working for Pro Football Talk, and, and we were all on the corner of like, what has John Elway done to really deserve like running a general manager? Like, didn't you do that well with those car dealerships? And like, the car does, dealerships does, <laughs> doesn't doesn't hold up well uh, because other players have come in and tried to do that right. themselves, and especially quarterbacks think they can do that, and they have the name to go with it. Elway's someone that has put in the work, and he completely has transformed that team. How do you outshine? the playing career he had. He's done that as an executive. Adam Shine has actually copyrighted any references. <laughs> oh, to I'm Shine not allowed to use that word sports. on any level. Time no. to shine. Okay. It's out. It's out. Check it out. Um, what? Uh, by the way, Wes in his banger uh, right up on this, uh, some stats just about Elway in his time with the team. 67 and 29, Denver. Woo. Two Super Bowl appearances. Yeah, they got waxed one year, but then beat a 17-1 and one team. Uh, was it the next year? Was it the following season or two seasons? Two years. Later? Two years later. Uh, five division titles, uh, a 698 winning percentage. So that's, that's how you get paid. In 22 seasons with the Broncos, I tweeted this out yesterday, he has 12 division championships and seven Super Bowl appearances. That's as a quarterback and an executive. In 35 years without John Elway, the Broncos have three division titles and one Super Bowl appearance. He's meant more to that organization than just about anybody's meant to any NFL organization. I stared him in the eyes after they won that Super Bowl. Told told him you, you loved him. Well, 
it's a, I have a complex relationship with John Elway because as sure. a Browns fan, he kind of ruined my childhood. But then I drew, I really grew to respect him when he finally won that Super Bowl because that AFC conference couldn't win a Super Bowl for so long. He was the one that did it. I mean, he was a fascinating player. For it to be a relationship, doesn't that have to be on both sides? <laughs> we had a is weird he, look. He, yeah, I would say he was essentially just looking right through me yeah. and saying, where is a doorway? How do I get out of this situation? <laughs> That's such a weird look, kind of like one you would expect on some level. But <laughs> – that's I will say it's pretty big of you that he destroyed the city of Cleveland in the 80s and late 80s or whatever. And you now have grown to to look deep in the man's eyes and hope for shared eye contact. I have no choice. It's been my entire life. I mean, this guy refuses to go away. You've got to just sign up and get on board. Yeah. Uh, in other news, Andrew Luck. Uh, Wes, you did a what's more likely in our last show. Will he appear in three preseason games? I don't know. We'll see. But probably not because general manager Chris Ballard announced Monday that Andrew Luck will be placed on the physical, physically unable to perform list. That is the pup. Uh, the roster move became official on Tuesday morning. Uh, Luck has started a throwing program after that shoulder surgery. Uh, he's still expected uh, to be healthy in time for the regular season. Uh, Chris Ballard, who, you know, he's a man that's known to say things. What's your favorite type of frog? And he had this to say as well. We're exactly where I thought we'd be at this time, he told the Herald Bulletin. Greg Rosenthal, <laughs> week one. Andrew Luck on the field. I know you have no – well, maybe you have sources. Who knows with Greg uh, anymore, I... but <laughs> we'll be ready. <laughs> These phony sources uh, tell me he should be playing week one. I think if you if you listen to Chris Ballard, he essentially said he expected Andrew Luck to be ready for week one. Reading between the lines, I think I, I wouldn't – necessarily expect them to play in the preseason at all. They didn't sound like that would be a priority. At most, I, he, it sounds like he would play one game, and it wouldn't be surprising if first time we see him is week one. But the fact that he's throwing again, I think if you're a Colts fan, this was a positive press conference. Anybody else have thoughts on that? I don't think the timeline is something to be overly concerned about. They said he, he's at where they thought he would be all along, and you know, barring some sort of setback, Colts will be okay. Uh, moving on, Robert Griffin III, he shows up. He's on the radar. Uh, RG3 uh, is going to have a workout for the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, rap sheet reported on Tuesday. Um, RG3 was cut by Cleveland in March. Of course, he started out with Washington. Uh, we hadn't heard his name at all, so it was a bit of a surprise that he popped up now, but uh, there are people still maybe in the league that remember 2012 when he was the offensive rookie of the year. And um, we'll see what happens. Uh, Mark, you know uh, from uh, your Browns fandom how how he looked last year um, in his last four games of the 2016 season. He missed a lot of uh, time, of course, with, I believe, a shoulder injury, was it, last year? Always an injury with him, but his numbers weren't good uh, at all. Uh, but did you see anything that says that he would be somebody that should be a quarterback, even a backup on the Chargers? They have Kellen Clemens, uh, Mar- um, Mike Berkovici? Berkovici. Arizona State. And Eli... Thank you, Sully. And Eli Jenkins. Uh, see anything? Can he beat out one of those guys? Maybe more so than Eli Jenkins, but his starting days are done. And it concerns me when we're getting tweets from Ian Rappaport, who spoke with Pep Hamilton, who says the ball is flying out of RG3's hand. <laughs> this is what we went through last offseason with RG3. And my, my, I start, What was Hugh Jackson's quote about? The earth think? moved under his feet. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, talk about hyperbole. And the quarterback position begins and ends with durability. And he's simply unreliable from that, from that standpoint. So you want, him, you want him for one or two games as a backup, maybe? Fine. I, I don't have a problem with that, but nothing beyond that. Yeah, I don't think Kellen Clemens is any great shakes. Yeah, that's the thing. Philip Rivers, when's the last time Philip Rivers missed a game? Never. I played through never. a torn ACL. No, never, right. actually, is the right. Stop jinxing the Chargers. Sorry, right? sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying uh, you're, maybe they're counting on that a little too much. Clemens and, and Berkovici. Forget that. I thought Berkovici. Hey, Berkovici. Berkovici looked really good in the preseason last year. Wes West with the surprise Berkovici. <laughs> he did. I, I took. Yeah, her, I was like, this guy looks pretty good. He's also like one of those guys that if you if he walks up to a jukebox and just hits it with his fist. Oh, oh, hey, Berkovici. Righteous Brothers, come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we'll see what happens there. It's you know he remains kind of a um, fascinating figure on some level. Not going to help their case of being the team around the NFL if RG three is on it. Let's just be. Let's be real. Yeah. 
is bad juju right now. Well, the other link that that Rappaport mentioned was that Anthony Lynn, the Chargers coach, worked with Tyrod Taylor in the past, and in theory, there's similarities between the two. I just, you know, come on with RG three. Like, I just, this is not the player. It's so easy to try to link the current player to who he was when he was at his heights as a rookie before a terrible knee injury. Wait, so you're telling me RG three gets work out before Count Kaepernick? Well, I didn't tell you that. Everyone else is telling you that. That's a trope. That's an off-season trope. Yes, it is. Insert crappy quarterback in RG3 spot there. Don't even get me started. Although when it, when it comes to Kellen Clemens, you know, Kaepernick fans might have a might have a point. It's like, what what has Kellen, Kellen Clemens done to stay in the league at this level for so long? He must be a nice guy. I think being, Never looked great when he was out there. I honestly think just being a cool guy and studying the playbook will keep you in the league as a quarterback. Part of the worst game I've ever seen as an NFL fan, Brody Croyle versus Kellen Clemens, Jets, Chiefs. Pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Speaking of nice guys, uh, Jarrell Freeman. You know Jarrell Freeman. He's the Bears linebacker. Uh, he was – this is an interesting story, fellas, and I wrote about it at the end around. Check it out. Uh, Jarrell Freeman uh, was in Texas. He's from Texas, and he was hopping a plane – uh, to Chicago to, to start Bears camp. He's at the Austin Airport Food Court, which is one of my favorite food courts in the country. I mm-hmm. go to Austin every year because uh, my wife is from that area, and they have a lot of great barbecue and brisket and things of that nature. Anyway, he got a brisket sandwich at the Salt Lake Taco Bar, and he, you know he's taking it down, he's putting it down, and all of a sudden, a guy next to him, he stands up in a panic. Uh, he's choking on his brisket sandwich. Literally choking to death, potentially, standing up in a panic, looking around for help. An old lady rolls over to this guy and attempts to do the Heimlich maneuver. She's not strong enough. Luckily, there's an NFL linebacker at the table next to him. Bang, bang. An NFL linebacker whose mother is a nurse, so he has a a vague knowledge of the Heimlich. Bang, bang. The dude's brisket comes pouring out of his mouth. Uh, So Jarrell Freeman saves this man at the food court at the Austin airport. Uh, A couple things uh, that I really love about the story, but the one that's my favorite, and it really speaks to the guy that he saved as just being a hero that we should have on the show. Guy went back to his his spot after it all calmed down. He took a picture, if you're watching the video show, and was tweeted out. Um, He finished his brisket sandwich. How about that? That's some good brisket. Wait, the man who the man who went through this this yes. it, he went back and ate the rest of the after sandwich. he had his life saved. I'm sure there's a huge commotion. He took a picture with Darrell, who then tweeted it. Sat back down at the table and went back to town on his brisket. That restaurant should use that in advertising. That's was it Franklin's Barbecue? It was the Salt Lick Taco Bar. So there you go. Mm. One, one, it's one of the best stories of the offseason. I think it truly was heroic. If you like, I always gets get worried because I don't know the Heimlich maneuver. Like, yeah. I kind of vaguely know it from watching other people do it, but, like, I should ha- – at this point in life, you should know how to save someone's life in that situation. Also, but he tweets out, hey, I just saved someone's <laughs> life. I mean, li- li- it's I a know, let's, let someone else maybe – That's not even a humble brag. Tweet. That's a plain brag. But I'll give it in to him, case, though. I'll give it to him. In this case, though, it was a great story. Uh, if he doesn't tweet that out uh, – we might never get the story on it. I believe that's a story that deserves to be told. I think you get a free brag if you save a person's life. Yeah. Sure. And by the that's way, worth bragging about. Have any of you guys choked even momentarily? I'm yes. sure we all have. Yes. yes. It's probably the worst feeling in the world. There's that panic, Terrifying. and you don't know whether to cause a commotion to get help, but then you know you're in trouble. It is. I had one incident that was really bad. It was at a the my grandfather – uh, rest in peace. It was doing like a, it was like an Elks golf tournament, and I went with my dad, and we did the golf tournament. And then there was a banquet afterwards, and I think I was chowing down on prime rib, and I got a little, uh, you know, OZ overzealous, and all of a sudden, <laughs> I got something stuck in my windpipe. It felt like, and I was like, what am I gonna do here? And then your eyes get all panicked, and then luckily. It went down right as I was standing up in the middle of this banquet hall. And I was like, Jesus, thank God, body. Good work. <laughs> what a tale from the Elks Lodge. I wasn't expecting to go to the Elks Lodge today. Tales my, from the Elks Lodge. My ex-girlfriend reminded me of this in my most recent trip to Tybee, that we went out to dinner with my family once. I was eating French onion soup with the cheese on top. Oh, no. And I got the cheese stuck, and the I started killer. pulling it out of my mouth like a clown <laughs> with a with a long t- multicolored tissue. And I'm just pulling cheese out of my mouth like choking to death. That's a silent killer. Yeah, Wes's love for clowns coming in. <laughs> you love those clowns. Um, 
Greg, you were born age 32, so maybe you didn't have any childhood incidents, but how about in your adulthood? I can't remember any choking incidents. I don't know. Mark? Oh, yeah, the moment that you described. I can't, yeah. I, it wasn't at the Elks Lodge or anything, but I've been through the similar you know, terrifying couple of seconds. Um, okay, and uh, moving on, wrapping up the news here, Josh Cribbs, a longtime Browns receiver. Um, he was on NF uh, Good Morning Football today. And uh, he was asked by Kyle Brandt, the, uh, one of the hosts of that program. Great program. Great program. About his thoughts uh, on the L.A. Chargers being ahead of the, Ram, uh, ahead of the Browns in the old Zeusers pain rankings. Let's, <laughs> let's check it out. Let's get to this. NFL.com's Dan Hansis, friend of the show, he released the 2017 fan-based pain rankings. He has the Browns sitting at number two. They're telling me in my ear that they've changed it. Number one now is Josh Cribbs during the third singing of Wheels on the Bus. That's number one. But how do you feel about the Cleveland Browns showing up in the two spot? Oh, that's awful. That's awful. The Cleveland Browns should be number one. Okay. But we've suffered the most, and that's why we have the greatest fan base. Not because of the winning, but because the fans stick around. They don't never have blackouts for our games. They stick around rain or shine, snow, and it's a lot of snow in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fans come out in droves, and we don't win. Um, that's a fair point. I thought that he answered that was a, a fair way to come back. Dead on analysis is how I would describe it. Yeah, it was good. And, and Schrager came back at me on Twitter. And he was coming after me a little bit about it, saying really? I've been too affected by the sun-kissed uh, weather out here. He basically called you soft. Yeah, to which I said, now I am. Now I can say that I've been accused of both East Coast and West Coast bias. Here I come, Middle America, well, coming to get you. Um, and then I thought, you know, who did a really nice job, uh, Will Brinson, reading the tea leaves. He came into the conversation and said, let's just, you know, like the Cowboys, maybe we should let the dust settle. In a couple of years, we'll see if the Chargers are still at number one. Yeah. I felt like this year it was a good spot for him. If the Bra- Let me tell you something. If the Br- Browns continue to suck for another couple of years when I revisit this, they're probably going to take that one spot back. It's tough to be in the number one spot, go out and go 1-15 in the worst season in the organi- organization's history, and somehow have a less painful reflection in your column. Well, so I appreciate what Josh Cribbs had to say. Yeah, I, I did. It wasn't it, about the Browns. It was but about if Schrager's going to come on Twitter and start taking shots, you know, make sure you're not in the glass house. You know, when they showed that mm. that board up on the screen that Josh Cribbs is looking at the rankings, it says Los Angeles Chargers. No, 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 no. It was the San Diego Chargers Good point, fans Greg. who are the most We pained. get the argument. How San do you, Diego. How do you respond, Dan, to the – allegations and that's exactly what they are Wes <laughs> that this switch last minute switch to put the Chargers on top yeah. was the result of Adam Rank's filibustering in the newsroom Whoa. uh you know what I don't I can honestly tell you that that was not behind it at all it was more little lobbying I was burning that midnight oil oh burning it putting the work in I'm putting the work doing work and uh, that's what you got to do Mark I, you weren't here last week to find out that yeah. That Dan worked very hard late into the night. Yeah. On it. I don't doubt I don't that he heard. did. I <laughs> don't doubt that he if, did. If, if you missed but it, it was 15 minutes uh, right in the middle of our program. He spoke about it for about 15. Yeah, pa- it was past midnight as I and I came well, to for you. came to this kind of re- revelation that the the Chargers deserve that spot. Um, what were you we saying, Wes? <laughs> Nothing good ever happens past midnight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, enough of that. By the way, people of Detroit, feel free to chime in on this. That, yeah, they could, you know this. This I feel like just you put it in a shaker and just rolled out and got some results. Yeah, if I if I was lob- would say if that. I was lobbying and I used to lobby for the Chargers yeah. to go up higher, I would say the Bengals are the team that oh, are, yeah. are really a little too low. Mm-hmm. They're at number eight. That's but you can't crazy. put nine teams at one. I don't two, care. So I, it's a tough. Yeah, I put them in the top exercise. four. I, I'd make my list. They'd be in the top four. Me too. I would think that was well. Listen. You guys are free to create your own lists, and uh, that's what I tell people all the time. Yeah, and go ahead. We all have create fun. your own little list. Uh, Send it out through Twitter. And then, Mark, speaking of the Cleveland Browns, uh, you wanted to touch on something, didn't you? Well, I do. The the you know we we track Roto World every day, and they give you a lot of great camp updates about players that you know behind the scenes are starting to bubble up and become prospects. This is Evan Silva's time of year. That is exactly right. And the buzz, the buzz in my take, I've been doing my monitoring. You probably think I've just been checked out. I read every day. Midnight oil. Midnight oil stuff. The buzz on second-year Browns tight end Seth DeValve out of Princeton is building to a fever pitch. Wait a second. Is this this an addition of pressure valve? 
It's pressure valve. That's <laughs> pressure what I'm calling valve, this baby. segment. We're calling this segment pressure valve. Let's the pre- explore. The valve. The There's pressure the pressure valve. valve. Let's just go through some of these blurbs that have appared on Evan Silva's Roto World. Yeah. June 10th, Browns coach Hugh Jackson calls tight end Seth DeValve an emerging player. June 23rd, <laughs> the Akron Beacon Journal says it's not far-fetched to believe that second-year tight end Seth DeValve could be the Browns' most improved player in 2017. Hey, now. July 12th, the Plain Dealers' Mary Kay Cabot says second-year tight end Seth DeValve jumped out at Browns OTAs in minicamp. July 20th, the Browns' official website expects second-year tight end Seth DeValve to have, in quotes, a significant role this season. July 21st, Patsy Kettles of PatsyKettlesFootball.net reports that Browns' tight end Seth DeValve (laughs) saved a school bus full of children by single-handedly lifting the vehicle off the side of a cliff in Berea. Ohio, wanting no credit for his heroic act, DeVal fled the scene using nearly superhuman speed per Kettles. July 23rd. Take notes, Ralph Freeman. July 23rd, Evan Silva of Roto World notes that he received an anonymous phone call from a Langley, Virginia area code warning him not to spill the beans on the true nature of Seth DeVal's mission on Earth. <laughs> July 24th, just a day ago, officials from the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio report seeing a Seth DeVal shaped object soaring in the sky over the Hall of Fame. <laughs> July 25th, Evan Silva of Roto World receives a second call from Langley. A man on the other end tells him it's time for the world to know the truth. Seth DeValve didn't attend Princeton. He was created at Princeton by secret scientists. Scientists working closely with Cleveland's forward thinking front office. Silva, it's up to you to connect the dots. Seacrest out. Wow. And that was the latest edition of Pressure Valve. Now, how do you expect me to put the Browns number one at the pain ranks when you got DeValve in the building? <laughs> Listen, that's a fair point. That's, He's literally that is Superman. Your, that is your fairest rebuttal to the pain <laughs> rankings. You have literally today. Superman on your roster. Yeah. You're in a good position, I think. I think so. You should probably make him the quarterback. Anything can happen. He's an emerging player, according to team sources. Is there a- you could put him at safety, then he'd be a safety valve. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Pretty nice. Is there a, a, just a hint of skepticism? On your end, that, that Seth DeValve will be the starting tight end and a game changer for the Cleveland Not Browns. Not even in the least. If, if you're watching the video version of this show, you saw that he had two highlights last year, and we replayed them over and over. <laughs> Is he moving mountains under feet or whatever Hugh Jackson said about RG3 last year? I think this time Hugh knows that people were going to see with their own eyes. He doesn't need to keep the hot, you know, the hot quotes coming. All right, it's time now to move on to the training camp spotlight presented by New Era. And today's training camp spotlight, we've done it every week uh, for the past three weeks. Now we're going to focus on the Dallas Cowboys and and specifically uh, how many roster spots are wide uh, wide open and how many jobs, I should say, and, you know, starting jobs, good work, I should say, uh, are out, is out there for the team. And, uh, Greg, you are a good person to talk to on this because they they sent you, NFL Network sent you to Oxnard to cover this thing. Weighing in at 166 pounds, he hails from Martha's Vineyard. He is NFL Network's Greg Rosenthal. So many untruths there. If Do you I was, weigh 166? Yeah, 166 is over it by about 30 pounds there. I'd be in trouble if I'm 166 on this frame. Give me a break. And uh, <laughs> I've never once lived in Martha's Vineyard. A husky 166, yeah, that would be for Greg. Not not husky. Uh, but Greg did uh, – he, he covered – uh, the Cowboys scene yesterday, and he was even on NFL Network. What a day for Greg. Mike Garofolo just tweeted oh Rosenthal that you asked him for permission today to wear shorts. <laughs> well, it wasn't so much permission. It was just the general customs. They usually don't put writers uh, that look like me out live, you know, in the field. So it. I was just making sure shorts are acceptable. Are you wearing shorts now, Greg, with two Gs? Rosenthal. I am. I am. I hope they don't pan down because there might be some stains from lunch. But, yes, I'm wearing shorts. All right. Well, he looks great. He's not an ink-stained wretch. He's a lunch-stained wretch. Greg Rosenthal. We say that, of course, with love and kindness. Wearing shorts. We can't show you because it's a family program here. And, and Mike, <laughs> you don't want to see it either as well. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about, Greg. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm on Team Greg here. They send him out there. NFL Network. They put him on TV. But what happens? They send him back to his little box when it comes down to it. Get, and they try to belittle you. I get brought. Thank you very much here with NFL.com's Greg Rosenthal. 
They want to keep you in that box. <laughs> I know you. You feel like okay, maybe I finally done it. My kid, my kids are watching at home. I found out later. Ugh. You know they have it on this. I didn't even know they had it on this big screen. It's like a large, scary almost image, and you think finally a little respect, and then someone. <laughs> And then, in the someone like, and then someone like Garofolo just broadsides you. Oh, come on. They like treated that. you like one of the guys. Like you're in the locker room and they're playing pranks on you. And I thought you really showed that you could think on the fly and improvise. Yeah. yeah. You did a nice job yeah. with it. And Wes, I'd love to I was surprised. take yeah. take that that standpoint uh, that it was it was boys club banter. I don't know. I just saw, saw the look <laughs> in, in, in Mike's eyes, the way Andrew just leaned into the whole thing. I'm surprised. I enjoyed it. I'm surprised, enjoyed Dan, it. that you would attempt to stir the pot between <laughs> yeah. Greg and other various inbuilding powers that's so against your nature. I, it added a little levity. I was glad. Yeah, and I was glad for it. And thanks to the uh, the Twitter uh, user that let us know that yes, Greg Greg did wear shorts, uh, as you can see. Oh yeah, Robert. He was a big fan of the show. I talked to talked to him. He was Bobby a big, P, big time listener. We had a couple listeners out there. All right, it's exciting. Mm. Bobby uh, Pedalino. Hey, Bobby Pedalino. All right, let's talk football <laughs> now. So, Greg, that I mean, do you need any more proof that Greg was boots on the ground, or I should say, black Adidas on the ground? Uh, let's start with the Dallas cornerbacks. There's a lot of lot of open jobs here. Yeah, I think it's. I don't know if it slipped under the radar with all the off-field problems they've had because they've had two arrests. They had the suspension for for David Irving. You have Ezekiel Elliott. But to me, the bigger issue, if you compare the Cowboys to the other teams that had buys last year the Steelers, the Falcons, and the Patriots. The Cowboys have way more questions. They lost over 6,000 snaps from their secondary from 6, the, last, the last two years combined. 6,000 snaps from four key players. And at cornerback especially, you've got uh, Orlando Skandrick, who they're excited is a little healthier this year. He's their number one cornerback. Number two by far is Nolan Carroll, a guy who really struggled in Philadelphia. And for veterans, that's it. When I, I asked Jason Garrett about it after the press conference because he kind of gave a non-answer in the press conference, and he mentioned those two players, and then he paused for about four seconds, and then he, and then he just was like, uh, and who else? Who else is on this and roster? He, he yeah. literally said, and who else? And then he went on to Anthony Brown, and they have a couple of rookies. And maybe those guys will step up. But if Nolan Carroll is by far your number two cornerback, that, that's trouble. My one, my, if there's one positive in Dallas, and th- th- there have been past seasons where we thought the Dallas defense was going to be a calamity, and they outplayed people's expectations. Rod Marinelli is one of the most underrated defensive coordinators in the league. He, his players love him, and they, he finds a way to make this stuff work sometimes. So that's, that's your hope. I was going to say, when are we going to learn? We do this every August. We say the Cowboys just don't have the defense to compete. And then the whole, their whole competitive competitiveness rests on their offense and controlling the ball, mm-hmm. and then they hide their defense. Yep, that's fair. That, on the flip side, there is now, you could say, listen, the Lucky Whitehead thing, it's just one of those silly uh, summer stories that gets overblown, but you got the Zeke Elliott stuff, and you have you know a roster that's maybe not as settled as other people think. This idea that the Cowboys are going to waltz back to 12 wins, there are challenges here that they're going to have to figure things out. It's not all laid out like some other contenders out there right now. No, Marinelli was very positive about the group and saying you know he loves competition and all that, and his system is really simplified it's not as complex as some others and they really count on effort and all that that said when you're when your best pass rushers are Tyrone Crawford and a rookie and you know Taco Charlton and you know Demarcus Lawrence who had one sack last year there's just not a lot of juice there I don't care how good a coach he is Jalen Smith Jalen Smith, that linebacker, could be a big factor. He's but definitely the, moving around pretty well. The idea that Another he, X factor. they almost they need know. him to somehow recover yeah. from drop foot and become an impact player potentially this year, a lot of things have to break right on that defense. Yeah, I think, I think yes, the offense has made up for it in two of the last three years, Wes, but those are like the greatest offenses possible, and you shouldn't need to count on an offense to be that good. And in the end last year, their defense got them beat. I mean, that offense was ready to compete for a Super Bowl, and the defense couldn't couldn't do it against Green. Yeah, I don't think they have a championship caliber defense, but this is not the worst defense they've had that we've that we've doubted. Mm. 
I mean, Mark had 50 adjectives to describe their defense. Right, and which, which <laughs> within weeks I was completely, you know, proven to be a complete phony that, on that topic. That was the team were, two years they ago. They were right? fine, yeah. They were fine. I think the corner – I think the secondary is worse than, than it's been. I mean, you lost you lost Claiborne, you lost Barry Church, you lost what if, guys who have been there. What if Byron Jones develops into yeah. an absolute superstar like Landon Collins or something? Yeah. I mean, that that could go a long way. And that was training camp spotlight presented by New Era. I don't know if Greg had something else. I wanted to give him a second to interrupt me, but he had nothing else. That's it. That's good. But that was All good right. info. Are, you, are they going to keep sending you out or what? I'm going to uh, – the other Los Angeles teams, the Rams and the Chargers. All right. Fun, fun, fun. All right. Let's do a little talk about New Era. New Era's NFL training collection has a great combination of innovative performance and style. With features like UV protection, moisture wicking, and cooling technology, there's no reason you shouldn't make the New Era NFL training collection a part of your daily attire. Every day, that means. Available at retailers like LidsNFLShot.com and... Oh, yes. Dick's Sporting Goods in your favorite team. All right. People wanted more hats? Got more hats. Got more hats. I enjoyed your Vanna White impression there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about it now. Like I said, on Thursday, uh, All or Nothing came up. I have my buddy Jason, who is a loyal uh, and, and faithful listener to the show. He he texted me uh, about a week ago. I said, dude, I know it has a lot of bad juice around, a lot of ju- bad juju, but – all or nothing is a good season. You should watch it. Greg started saying the same thing. And then we said, hey, listeners, do you want us to talk about all or nothing? Inundated with tweets. People wanted it. Literally millions of tweets. <laughs> I got four million tweets saying <laughs> talk about all or nothing. So let's talk about all or nothing, uh, which focused, of course, on the Los Angeles Rams. And, um, and, and uh, it was a show that this was always – Let me my initial takeaways – that the show, real like like Greg teased that, really gets hot in the back end and, and takes you to a place that if you watch football programming, NFL films is the best in the business at it. We've never really seen a team disintegrating uh, documented in, in this way, or at least I haven't. So I found that fascinating. The biggest mistake they made and the reason why there was so much bad buzz, if they just would have done all or nothing on the Rams and went somewhere else for hard knocks, I think they would have been in a better situation. Mm. Yeah. But the fact that they did double up, people were already like, wait, been there, done that. And then on top of it, the Rams were a laughing stock last season. So people just tuned out. But if you tune in, and, and we'll start with Greg, if you tuned in here, and if you, after you got past those initial episodes, the first couple episodes really did feel overly familiar based on Hard Knocks, which documents training. Hard Knocks yeah. cutting room floor material for the most part. And they start three and Early one. Early on. Yeah, right, and they start three and one. And you know it's not going anywhere, so you don't really understand right. the point. But once you get to episode five, and then especially six, which I feel like is the linchpin of the whole series, and then seven and eight, the show really takes flight. Greg, your thoughts? I I think seeing a team, just what's going on when a season is falling apart and the desperation of the coaches and the depression of the players and how much it meant to them. Like it just humanized a team that we had just been mocking openly at that point. And you do realize, and of course that there's editing and everything going involved to it, how much the players cared, how much it hurt them. And also how ridiculous some of the situations are where it's Tuesday before they play the Patriots. And you've got one of their coaches, just, you know, Greg Williams, just railing against them. Do you really love football? All this stuff. It's Tuesday morning. It's five days away from the game. And that team's going to get drilled no matter what you say. So there's, there's just all these strange uh, moments, but to me, it, it really came together Game, uh, what was it, 14 in their season when they got waxed by the Falcons, the game that got Jeff Fisher fired, and uh, rather, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a, I want to talk about the, the second-to-last game of the season. After John Fossil is the coach, and they lose to the 49ers, they have a 21-7 to lead with about, six, seven, with about six minutes left. And in any other documentary or any other NFL things, there's some sort of lesson there. That, like, okay, they didn't give up. You know, John Foster, they're at least trying. Like, there's a great moment. But no, that's not what sports are like. Sports are just sometimes a kick in the nuts. They blow the lead. There's no lesson to be learned. The lesson is 
you guys are terrible, and no matter how much you try, sometimes sports is just going to get away from you. Sorry. Like, that was the lesson. It was about as dark as I've ever seen a sports show. I watched, so I, I watched the first two a couple weeks ago, and I, like a lot of people, said, I've got better things to do right now. But so last night, because we knew we were going to talk about this, it, I was texting you guys as I was binge watching like as many episodes as I could. And I kept saying, every time Jeff Fisher gets on screen, this production falls apart for me because I, am, I already had issues with Jeff Fisher. I am growing to dislike him more and more. He seems to me, he's walking around with Britney Spears' children at some point. All this stuff happening where this guy just feels to me like a creation, a, a version of Jeff Fisher. I don't really feel a lot of genuine energy coming from him. When John Fossil took over, the whole show absolutely took off for me. I, I think that what I learned watching John Fossil, who was promoted from a special teams coach where he admitted he was down in the basement in a right. bunker, and they show him down there as a special team coach, the passion that he had. I thought he was a truly plugged-in coach that loved working with players and developing them. Then he jumps into these massive shoes, and you can find out how rough that job would be when you suddenly are going to be the head coach to have to go and coach your first game ever, and the trial and what's going on mentally. He clearly was not even aware of what the experience would be like. It was right? a short week. Very was, short week. They fired Fisher on a Monday after a blowout, I think, to the Pats. They had the Seahawks on the road on a short week, and that's what he gets tossed into. And there's a great moment with uh, Demoff, who I believe is the executive vice president of operations, and it's a shot from, from a distance, um, and they, they show him basically Demoff trying to, Tell Fossil, this is going to be okay. You can do this. Just be yourself. We're going to help you out. And Fossil, you can see it in his face. And then they go to Seattle, and they get predictably waxed. And after the game, I was really taken by how he seemed – he wasn't happy, Fossil. But there was almost a look of relief on his face. Just I survived that game. Survival. I'm a head coach. I was a head coach for a game in in this this strangest week of my life, and I survived that. And, Greg, you mentioned the Fossil um, clip. Uh, after the Christmas Eve loss to the 49ers. The Niners of all teams scored 15 points on him in their building in the last five minutes. Here is the uh, video, actually, of um, Fossil trying to figure out what to say. Well, first time for me, so I probably don't have a lot of pearls of wisdom for you, but, you know, I had a hell of a time. It was a hell of an experience. I do know that we got two weeks left, and after that, obviously, a lot of things are going to change, so I'm proud of you out there. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to go back to work. We're going to stay together. We're going to grind till the finish because that's just what we do. All right. All good. Uh, the highlights for me, and Mark touched on this, John Fossil's genuine energy, which stood in contrast to some of the other main characters yeah. in the show. Kevin Demoff's humanity in tough moments. Todd Gurley's competitive fire. Yep. Sean McVay's football mind in the final episode, which was in stark contrast <laughs> to the he- previous head coach's football mind, in my opinion. And to me, the issues I had with this show were the head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator to start the program. And you look at a piece of art and you say, do I believe it? Or you watch a movie. Are you willing to put in willing suspension of disbelief? You go to see a comedian. Do you buy in mm. to what that comedian's saying? I didn't buy in to anything Greg Williams, Rob Boris, or Jeff Fisher was saying. Well, maybe their there was players just- didn't either. I think that was part of the problem. They don't come off. If you read books about football players, what do they want in a coaching staff? Foremost, are you going to give us a competitive edge by being smarter and more innovative than the opposing coaching staff? And I didn't get the sense that the Rams staff was that. Totally with you. Like I found the offensive side of the ball especially – to, I, it was head-scratching to watch them try to figure out how to process what was happening with their offense. Although Gurley, you know, and Fisher, you know, lost the job, and, and this is true of a lot of the players, Gurley cried, and they were they seemed very upset. So there, there did seem to me like a human connection with Fisher, and yet I don't know if they ended up respecting him enough as a true football coach to, to really do it. Well, wanted. one doesn't have to negate the other, right? Right. You can right. still like a guy as a human and not believe that he's going to outsmart Bill Belichick. He came and, off- and there's a sense of guilt right. because you've 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 let the, you've caused jobs the, you, as right. the players. And I think there were some great scenes where the players were calling each other out, saying, "We cost this man his job." I mean, that was a real moment. When 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 Gurley goes off at halftime of the Falcons game, it's like twenty-one to three, and he's saying horse bleep, you know what we put out there and everything. That comes right after Rob Boris kind of loses his mind and just saying like that's not who we are like now we're really gonna find out who we're made of 
And I'm thinking the players have to be thinking this, and I'm thinking this. No, it's yeah. we, it's week fourteen. The wheels will come off. You are you are you have lost six or seven straight games. You are getting drilled. You have found out what you're made of. I mean, I, Fossil Fossil said that after the, they lost the, the second eleven. I got the vibe that um, if it, Jeff Fisher seemed like a lovable uncle type guy to them, a guy that they knew was a football life and that had done things in this league. And now he was uh, coaching them and they didn't really believe in the system and they knew they stunk, but they still liked him personally. And and let's throw to another clip here, which is Johnny Hecker, who's maybe one of the only guys th- to give a damn about last season, who's one of the best punters in the league uh, and considers himself to be a team leader, even though he's a punter. He gets up uh, after Fisher had left the room and the team's in shock and, and delivers this tearful address. Uh, Coach Fish gave us all a chance, man. Uh, we didn't do with it. Uh, they're giving Bones a new chance to start something new. And, uh, and it sure hurts. We sat him back and he gave us all a shot. We had nothing with it. He moved. It was a distraction. He handled it like a man. He, he gave us every opportunity we needed to succeed. But we didn't hold each other accountable. We cannot sell ourselves short moving forward, guys. As leaders, I mean, I've laid you guys down, man. I haven't been there. I haven't done my best. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Coach Fish. He's not going to hear it, but we all got to wear it. We all got to know that that man's gone because of us. And going back to McVay, um, did anybody else get like a – and I know you can get sucked into how someone's presented in a documentary. Anybody else get like a young John Gruden vibe off the guy? Well, they've yes. been saying that about him from his well, first press. I think he's literally trying to. Do, I don't know if he's trying to, but that's sort of. I it. see. I hadn't even heard that. I missed oh, he's all that. Like, but... he's, he's tied deep to the Grudens, and there's certainly it seems like he's pulled some not mannerisms, <laughs> but just sort of energy and presentation. Definitely got style. the Gruden energy and the confidence in the way he how easily he was interacting with everyone with Goff. Like he's like that stuff you didn't like immediately. It, it was cool to. Yeah. see like you mentioned um you know what we saw in terms of the post firing that was what was really interesting i mean you saw this these conversations like demoff and fossil or or the post firing meeting where a bunch of different people take turns talking or mcveigh meeting goff for the first time and kind of selling himself to goff like hey you did some rare stuff in that sure. new orleans game we're you know like we've never seen stuff like that yeah. and i don't know what sean mcveigh's character is i don't know like when they go through a losing streak or tough times happen will he how will he handle adversity it's 31 but you could tell in that final episode, if I'm a Rams fan, I'm excited because he is a smart, smart guy. Yeah, and and you said Jared Goff. I think, listen, we know he had a lot of issues last year, but that this show also did a nice job showing the impossible situation he was put into last year. I know he struggled on the field, but the fact that he was in that uh, coaching staff that was in over its head, and then right when maybe he would start to get his sea legs as a starter, they get rid of the coach, and he's left with a special teams coordinator and a a team that's completely adrift. I mean, if anybody deserves a fresh start with a new young coach that knows offense, it's this kid. So it kind of gave me, personally, almost hitting the reset button, and I'm looking forward to see what he looks like this season. And and you really felt sympathy for someone like him and also someone like Rob Boris who we're saying has been in over his head and it's like this is a guy who's worked his ass off his entire life got an opportunity that was that he essentially earned and maybe he wasn't ready for that job and then and he just has to deal with it and then you see him in Buffalo at six in the morning showing up he's the new tight ends coach there and he's talking about his family and he literally has they stayed in St. Louis after they moved to LA. He literally has not been with his family for 16 months and he's talking about well at least we have that coming up. They're finally going to move here in June. Yeah. And he, and the Buffalo from LA potentially if things went better. They're moving to and Buffalo. And these assistant coaches you just, feel for him yeah. as a human where we, we we've made fun of him. Yeah, and the they're most. just to us they're a lot of times cuz we don't have in-depth contact with them. They're just names on pages. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, assistant. But what's going on? I, I the where this show takes off for me and same with Hard Knocks is when you get to learn who these people are, their strengths, their weaknesses, and how actually just how human the whole thing is. When this team is utterly collapsing, you're thinking these are high-ranking experts handling this behind the scenes, but it's quite the opposite. They're panicking, and they don't know if their players are going to develop at all, if they're going to have jobs two months from now. you got kids in school. You probably have a wife panicking at home if you're a coach. I mean, it's a tough deal. So, so uh, there you go. That's all or nothing talk. Mm. Oh, wait. we I do, have to, I do want to 
point out one thing, which yes. I, if you li- if you watch the show, I feel like listeners will remember this moment, which I count <laughs> as the most haunting moment in the history of NFL films. Haunting. And I don't know if we have a screenshot or not, but it's haunted me. I It's stuck in my mind. At one point, three days after Jeff Fisher is fired, they are getting on the team bus for to go to the airport, to go to Seattle, and with no warning from NFL films, no nothing, <laughs> they are leaving. And at right at the part of the grounds where they're leaving, Jeff Fisher is holding a dog, and his wife is there. It's not his wife because no. we see his wife later in the Oh, that's uh, a good season. point. And it, I think that's a woman, like a mom that was shopping for groceries. At it's the like an unnamed box. shadowy female. There's a there's a cop, a security cop near them for some reason, too. And they wave goodbye to the team bus. And there's no explanation. <laughs> I thought, have I am I seeing things? Why? Like, why is Jeff Fisher there? Why is ghost. he? Why is he allowed on the grounds? It, I mean, if. Or, or choosing to go there. There's probably a, a very logical explanation, like he was going to clean up his his office or something. But something was very dog. something was very sad and eerie about it. it. Reminded me, you said ghost of like the ghost that that people said they saw at the back of three men. Three in men the in a base. Was that yeah. Jeff Fisher even there? <laughs> yeah. Was it like the players wishing that he was there and then he? I don't know. I, I have the theory that every coach that gets fired becomes a ghost on that team's <laughs> campus. Oh man! And we just happen to see the specter, and it's kind of like some type of weird thing where maybe there was some type. The Browns of- have a lot of ghosts. Yeah, you got a, you have Mike Patton walking around. You got you know just like a Romeo mass Brunel. of humanity uh, and and Brea. But uh, yeah, we did get to see Greg Williams. The last episode, they did a nice job of showing where everyone ended up, like uh, like the offense coordinator in Buffalo and Greg Williams. Right back, and now in all Browns gear, screaming and mother effing all the players, like, yeah. like Bud Kilmer. What an unlikable guy! Players. I mean, how does this guy keep getting the top defensive jobs? Could you play over a sport for again? Greg Williams? I could not. I would not respond well to somebody treating human beings that way. Also, well, what about you know the Browns? They had to see the tape of that that Saints game too. Let's not let's not like like Greg Williams is unassailable as it, a defensive It's not as mind. if the Browns also had their absolute pick of any sort of person they wanted to come in and coach their defense. I mean, you, you've got, a, you got slim pickings, and <laughs> they go Greg Williams. Uh, all right, so there you go. And uh, Hard Knocks, a reminder, we will talk Hard Knocks in a couple of weeks. Uh, the season, a very and highly anticipated season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, end around, we'll do the write-ups, and we'll talk about it on the show. Um, before we go... This past weekend was the NFL Media Family and Friends Day. How about that? Is that the first annual? Yes. Yeah, it is. It was a new initiative by Leadership Up Above, and uh, uh, it was a very nice day. We got uh, Mark, you and your family were there. Greg, we lost you, but you were there with the wife Yeah, and at one kids. point, Walker, my son, it was very hot that day, and he just started l- laying down on the pavement as <laughs> as Ellis was jumping in the bouncy castle. And we were just like, all right, we, we, we got to go. He's literally Time laying to roll. down on so the hot pavement. Eventually, like Mark and, and myself and Emily and Simone, we wanted to take the kids and show them where we sit. You know, that, that security guy, I you know that I, I declared vengeance against that guy uh, years ago over – I declare vengeance uh, over him him and his, his, his parking rules, which are unfair – and I should be able to park in a reserved spot, and I will one day. And when I do, and you know who you are, I will laugh in your face. <laughs> anyway, we try to take our kids to show our desk, and there he is again. Not allowed in. Mr. Security Man saying, no, nobody without a badge can come in. I was like, my son's three. Yeah. Age-old tradition to go visit your, your oh, dad so you or guys were go in because you had a badge, but the kids couldn't. No kids or family allowed. Right. So – Mark and I, small we got, town sheriff. We got Wiley, and then Mark, you made a bit of a rookie mistake. You then asked us if we were allowed to go to a different area, which he promptly said no. Right. We waited till he. Whenever somebody, whenever an authority figure is being, <laughs> what you need to do is look for ways to undermine him and never, never communicate with him. You wait till he turns his back and you go. I immediately got a shutdown in another area of the of the premises. So, <laughs> so what we did, we waited till he turned around. And we went and we did a uh, tour of. Uh, the studio and everything. That was fun. And then we said, hey, I know Mr. Security Man's not going to like it, but let's go to the podcast studio. Uh, and now, and this is yet another reason to check out our video program. We got uh, uh, Luke and Colton, Mark's boys, and Jack and Harrison, my boys, took over the chairs here in the ATN uh, podcast studio. And uh, you could check it out uh, right now if you're watching video. And I thought that was quite a fun thing. 
It was great. It's also on my Facebook page. Feel free to add. No, no, no. You're not adding, getting added on my Facebook page. But um, here Who's going to win this week? The Jets or Browns? Jets. Oh, great. <laughs> that was Mark's son. Jets, not Browns. That's well, my other son. You guys are probably giving good analysis. Okay, here we are in the NFL podcast studio. Jets, not Say hi, everybody. What's up? Who's your favorite team? Browns. Nice. Good boy. Harrison, who's your favorite team? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Jack, who's your favorite team? Uh, player. Players? Okay. <laughs> My son's back big fantasy football fan. <laughs> <laughs> Unfair advantage. Sessor's got your boys by a few years. All right, that's that's good. Um, yeah, my son, his favorite team is player. Uh, <laughs> it shows that. Uh, Maybe he's a fantasy football fan. Maybe he doesn't value teams. And I, I personally, if he doesn't want to be a Jets fan and Harry doesn't want to be a Jets fan, I am not going to stand in the way because I know. Well, I mean, let, if, if you aren't able to watch the video, they are in Jets clothing. Yeah. So there is some influence being wielded. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm totally lying. They ha- if they want me to fully love them, they'll be Jets fans. <laughs> but that was a great. That was a great little event. And uh, Wes, in two years, you could bring your – young son as well into the proceedings. Maybe twins. You, you never know, know. something I don't know. The human body is an interesting thing. Pump out twins and away you go. We all got two boys. Twins do run in my family. They do. Yeah. Brothers well, were twins. You know, I, I have a daughter. I, you know. <laughs> Shoot. You know, you, thought we all had boys. Everyone I know has all boys except for you, which is a strange thing. Is, having a daughter is a great thing. I recommend it highly. Yeah. That's what they say. There's no pure love, I was told, <laughs> than a daughter for her father. That won't be happening in the Sessler family. <laughs> Two will be fine. Thank you. Same here. Same here. All right. Uh, that's it for today's edition of the Around the NFL podcast uh, presented by New Era. We will be back on Thursday, and that will be – or Friday. What are we doing, Thursday or Friday? We'll be back later this week. Thursday. But Thursday, most Thursday. likely. Uh, and uh, and then after that show, we are back three times a week uh, until we all die. So very exciting, uh, and uh, it's time to go now. It's time to go. Predicting a winter death. I like that. Thanks to everyone behind the glass. Check it out again, NFL.com slash ATN video. Stan Hans is signing off for the mailman, uh, the boss, the sizzler, and Wilk behind the glass. Also signing off, man. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Tired of pickup truck bed chaos? Meet Decked. Game-changing USA-made full bed-length drawers for tools and gear. Waterproof, dustproof, lockable, secure. Whether you're working, hunting, fishing, camping, or just getting out of town. And introducing Decked Deco Cases. Tough, modular, problem-solving cases built for the truck, job site, campsite, or garage. Say goodbye to random bins and tie-downs. Order now at Decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Decked. Your truck, your rules. Decked.com forward slash iHeart. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R.